This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey, Minimizers, welcome to the Minimalist Podcast where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Have you heard of compulsive decluttering? Hmm. Compulsive decluttering is a pattern of behavior that is characterized by an excessive desire to discard objects from one's home and living areas. Ryan, another term for this is obsessive-compulsive Spartanism. Mm. And this, so it's like a, the opposite of hoarding. In a way, yes. Hmm. And it's the perfect topic. Spartanism, this is episode 300. <laughs> oh my God, I'm just imagining Jordan right now is putting in a, this is Sparta! <laughs> <laughs> and the, there's an image of me like kicking you into the hole. Yeah. He, he's superimposed. Can you do that, face. Jordan? Is that how long will that take you to do? <laughs> <laughs> we have Danny here. Danny can figure it out. I'm yeah. certain. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I got a text this week. You know, people can text us nine three seven. Oh boy, what is the phone number? Two zero two four six five four. Yeah, that goes to both of our phones. And I um, we use this little app called Community, and it sends texts to both of us. And this, someone sent this text and. It said, love people, ride bikes, but the opposite is kind of fun, too. <laughs> That's good. We That's did a little, a little contest on, on Twitter and Facebook right before the book came out, Love People Use Things, the, the book, and we, we did Love People Use Blank. And so you can go to our Twitter feed and find this, or Facebook feed, and you see all these like amazing, yeah. Like my, one of my favorites is like, love people, use your turn signal. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty funny, dude. Uh, it makes me, I think my favorite is uh, Ella. What did she say? Um, love pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Use things. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. yeah that was good. So this week on the Minimal episode, we're going to talk about Spartanism. We're going to talk about compulsive decluttering on the Maximal episode. Ryan, I've got some cartoons about consumerism. I love cartoons. <laughs> We've got some surprise questions for you as well. Last week's Maximal episode over on Patreon was outstanding. It was called Collecting is Well-Planned Hoarding. Mm. So as Ryan alluded to, the homes of compulsive declutterers are often empty. It is the opposite of compulsive hoarding. So a few months ago, Ryan, we did a hoarding episode. We talked about the five stages of hoarding podcast. Sean, if you could put a link to that episode in the show notes. And the opposite of hoarding is not minimalism. The opposite of hoarding is the inability to hold on to anything. Mm -hmm. And so there are all kinds of burdens with this. Or just like with hoarding, there are burdens, financial burdens, psychological burdens. The same thing is true with Spartanism, the financial burden of the inability to let go. I mean, think about it. If you yeah. it, it, the inability to hold on, if you can't hold on to stuff, yeah. well, then you're constantly having to replace it whenever you need something. I feel right? like uh, maybe it's a Jack, no, not Jack Reacher. 
The Tom Cruise character. Yes. Is it Jack Reacher? Yeah. Yeah. Who he, who, I, who holds on to nothing? Right. Like right. not even his clothes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing about that is that's out of necessity as a fictional character. As a spy. Right. Yeah. Right. But I imagine if he had his own home and stuff, he he wouldn't be that same person. Yeah. It's a sort of utilitarian thing. Mm. The problem is, and you and I know a few people who suffer from Spartanism. Sure. Uh, and they once they start getting rid of the stuff. And all the stuff is gone. They start finding other things to get rid of mm. as well, hmm. including close friends or careers. And you find it's almost a type of sabotage in a way. Yeah. They're sabotaging these areas of their life because they perceive that having anything in their life is as though they are clinging to it. Mm. But, of course, you can have things without having to cling to those things. It's interesting how... And just anything taken to the extreme, right? Yes. It's going to be detrimental. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting to that we're having a whole show based around the other side of the other extreme, uh, on the opposite side of hoarding. Well, I think sometimes people confuse minimalism as though it is Spartanism right. or asceticism. And asceticism might be similar to, to, at least it apes the form of Spartanism, mm -hmm. meaning ascetics. They tend to own very little or next to nothing. Mm. Yeah. They live a monastic life quite often, yeah. right? But they've done so intentionally. Spartanism, in a way, is almost, it's not intentional. It's the inability to hold on to anything to the detrimental effect of, of one's life. It's funny because both hoarding and Spartanism is the inability to get clear on what's appropriate to hold on to or to have in your life yeah and so, what's appropriate for you and individually right so there's if you don't want to do that work then there are two options you can either hold on to everything uh -huh. or hold on to nothing uh, and both of those are going to lead you down a path of misery mm. we got some questions here let's start with lisa on facebook hoarding spartanism must we diagnose everything maybe some people just like a lot of stuff and others don't done <laughs> oh well episode's over <laughs> lisa i i tend to agree with you here yeah. sometimes these labels can be extremely limiting for someone and so yes if once we diagnose everything if we stop there then well it's not going to get us very far it's like if you have a vehicle but you don't exit the vehicle when you get to the store to actually do what you want to do it, it, these are concepts right mm. And, and concepts tend to be, you know, we could call them constructs even, conventions. And a group of people have decided, here's what Spartanism is, or here's what hoarding is. Mm. And you can diagnose someone with that. That's one thing. But understanding the problem beneath that, it starts with the concept, but then what is understanding really? Mm. It's, it has to do with awareness. Seeing something is awareness. Understanding is seeing the thing that you see mm. in a way. And so, Lisa, you're right. If we're simply throwing up labels for something, that's not very useful for mm. us. However, if we can use that label to really see what is beneath it, because we, uh, we bump up against the limitations of language, then then it can be useful in us understanding some of the problems that, that haunt us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whenever we have some kind of, I don't know, dissatisfaction or discontent or like there's something in our life that is affecting, in a, affecting us in an extreme way, especially when it comes to our mental health, I mean, I think these labels help. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, do we have to diagnose everything? No. Right. 
But sometimes a diagnosis can help us, like you said, understand what's really happening inside of us. I think of nature, you know, birds aren't labeling anything, right? Mm. Uh, they're seeing everything, though. Mm -hmm. you know, same with your, your average animal. If, they, if a deer is walking down the street here. There's a New Yorker cartoon there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> with birds labeling things. I'll think about it. I'll, I'll let you know next podcast. <laughs> okay. <come> up with. <laughs> and, and yet they see everything. And I... I I understand the spirit of Lisa's question here. Is it disempowering for us to diagnose everything? Yes. Yeah. To simply label someone and leave it at the label can do significant detrimental harm. But if that mm -hmm. label brings you to a deeper understanding of the problem, which is what I want to explore with you today, then perhaps it can be beneficial for you. You know, she said maybe some people just like a lot of stuff and others don't. And I totally accept that. And I was actually thinking today on the ride into the studio here, I'm like, man, we are not in the business of convincing. We're not in the business of like uh, problem solving. We're trying to get out of the advice business. We used to be in that business, but we're trying to get out of that. Yeah. I mean, but we're, you know, we are here to share a perspective, to share a story, two different perspectives, two different stories. So, you know, to, to just kind of agree with Lisa here. Yeah. Maybe some people just like a lot of stuff. Yes. And maybe you know, they do. Yeah. And Josh and I are not here to talk people out of their stuff. We're not here to, to guilt trip anyone or judge anyone. We are just simply here to share a story. The person who likes a lot of stuff mm -hmm. is not a hoarder, though, mm -hmm. because hoarders are burdened by their hoards, uh, as we learned in the hoarding episode. Oh, interesting. And so they don't actually like their stuff. They just struggle with parting from the stuff or parting mm -hmm. with the stuff. The same can be true for the Spartanist, in, in a way. It, they... They, it's not that they like getting rid of things. It's that they have some sort of barrier that blocks them from having things that add value to their life. I wonder, like, for every one Spartanist, uh -huh. how many hoarders are there? Like, is, I would imagine fewer Spartanists than hoarders. I don't know, though. Yeah. Can you give yeah. me an idea? Well, I've seen some of the data around it, and it is inconclusive. It, okay. It's certain that there are a lot more hoarders because in our culture, we have a tendency to hold on, to cling to things. Mm. Now, I don't mean that literally just the physical things, but all of us have these attachments that we've developed, which is a nice way to say clinging in a way, right? Yeah. It could be attachments to career, people, to the past, to the future that doesn't exist. We have all these attachments, mm -hmm. and quite often those attachments also manifest in our things. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference with the Spartanist is they're unable to attach to anything, which sounds at first like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to aspire toward, right? But an aspiration toward detachment is not the same thing as non-attachment. That's what the Buddhists would say. Yeah. Um, well, there's a difference in, like, being willing to walk away from something mm -hmm. and then just, you know, having a blanket of, I'm walking away from everything. Having to walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah having to walk Right. There's a get-to and a have-to, yeah. Yeah, and, mm. and so your willingness to walk away is non-attachment. And that can be beautiful. It's incredibly freeing. Yeah. But it's the opposite. It's a, if you can't, if, you, if, you, if you're forced to walk away from everything, mm -hmm. then that's not freedom. That's a, a different type of, of prison yeah. in a way. Mm. And so the people who don't like to own a lot of things, we have a name for them too, Lisa. They're called minimalists. <laughs> and, and so... I thought they are called minimizers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, minimizers. We have a question here from Caroline in Houston, Texas. 
I'm in the process of decluttering and getting rid of a lot of stuff, but I notice that I want to constantly reach for my phone to make sure that I'm not going to miss a lead on Facebook Marketplace or whatever platform I'm selling my stuff. So how do you properly balance leaving your phone alone and also selling your things at the same time? Interesting. So there's almost like a a gambling thing going on with Caroline right now, right? Right. Um, And I could see myself falling into this trap where I've got a bunch of things up for sale. In fact, now that I think about it, I probably was in that mindset when I was getting rid of my my hoard uh, after the packing party mm-hmm. because it's exciting to go and check and see like, oh, did I make 10 bucks? Did I make five bucks? I mean, it's almost like pulling a slot machine, but you're, well, well I mean, there's already studies that show that checking your phone is like pulling a slot machine, but in this instance, you're actually getting money. So it's even more so. Uh-huh. Um, man, uh, what would your advice be for Caroline? I I have no advice, but I have some observations (laughs) here. I'm in the observation business these days. Yes, yes. And, and so here, here's what I've observed in my own behavior. So we can talk about some of the how to stuff mechanically. What can you do? Yeah. Right. But before we do that, let's figure out why you feel this impulse to check. Is it actually, does it have anything to do with the selling of the items? Probably not. Mm. Or if it does, that's one minuscule component of it mm-hmm. what it really has to do with is what that dopamine hit that you get yeah. that rush the the desire for pleasure it's pleasure seeking mm. and so when we get rid of things because we're seeking pleasure isn't that in a way that's a type of you know stage one spartanism we could call it that you mm. know with hoarding you had these yeah. these five stages you and i identified we were definitely stage one hoarders likely stage two hoarders and in some cases even stage three hoarders yeah. and that's not a judgment it's just an understanding of where, where we were right. and it's also an observation that oh you can change that because mm. not every hoarder was a hoarder before they were a hoarder mm. it, there was something that happened at some point that they went through the stages of hoarding. And I think the same thing can be true with Spartanism or the inability to, to hold on. But what we're talking about here is, is constantly checking. In fact, the compulsion to check. Mm. It, it becomes, man, um, when you often say that consumption is not the problem compulsory consumption is the problem yeah. isn't the same thing true with checking our phone checking your phone is not the problem right the pro- the phone can be really useful mm. the problem is the is when i i i can't not check the phone yeah and so there are some things i've done in my own life that have been helpful in terms of the how once we understand why you're doing it quite often that desire to check it drops Mm -hmm. in the first place. However, setting up some boundaries can be useful as well. So one boundary I have in my own home is the phone goes in my junk drawer. Oh, Mm -hmm. what a metaphor there, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's not the phone is junk, but the constantly checking it all day, every day, that's a junk behavior of mine. And, And so if I want to check the phone, I have to get up, I have to go to the junk drawer, open the drawer, unlock the phone. It creates some additional friction because Mm -hmm. we've removed all the friction. We have that 79th organ there in our pocket all the time. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's just there with us. And it's constantly saying, hey, 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 check me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that knock is loud. Right. Because, well, because that impulse is within us. 
Well, why is it there? Because we actually do get something out of it. Mm. But it's not anything meaningful. It's just something pleasurable. And we talk about in Love People Use Things, the difference between pleasure and pleasure seeking versus real joy and the enjoyment of the moment. Now, you can enjoy selling your things, but as soon as you feel that compulsion to get pleasure from it, in a weird way, it removes the pleasurable response you you would have otherwise had. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think you talking about boundaries, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind because I'm trying to put myself in uh, Caroline's shoes here. And yeah, I would have to set up some type of boundary, whether it's like checking it once a day or you know twice a day, whatever it is. I'm actually thinking back to when I was doing this. I don't think I had any boundary set up and I was just constantly checking. Now I got rid of my stuff like fairly quickly because I started pricing it really low. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if this is going on for months, like I don't, yeah, I would have to set up some type of boundary, but I think you're right, man. Like getting to the why. So like Caroline, if you can understand what it is that is driving you to do this, I mean, that's really when you can stop and catch yourself in that impulse Mm -hmm. and at least interrupt the pattern, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's step number one is, Oh man, I'm trying not to give advice here, but it just comes out. I don't know. I'm just thinking for myself. For myself, step number one would be catch the impulse. And then from there, I would then analyze or, or look at the boundaries that I set up for myself and see if I could stick to those boundaries. And I'm sure Caroline's not going to be perfect with it, and that's okay. But but stopping that impulse, is, that's, that would be my step number one, just interrupting that. So I'm like changing your state. Like that's what Tony Robbins would say. Well, what you're talking about here is the art of noticing, which is actually one of the sections in, in our new book. And and that noticing spawns all this new awareness mm. because you might notice that you're checking your phone a lot, but truly noticing it will, will change the behavior in a way that simple behavior change wouldn't. And that's why I'm hesitant to say, well, yeah, here are the three things that you should do. Right. Because those three things will change the behavior but as soon as you have a reason to go back to the impulse, you're going to go right back to it. Yeah. But if you truly understand, Caroline, then, well, then the behavior changes on its own. By the way, I'd love to see you in Houston. We're going to be in Houston next month. We've got a tour stop there. I love people use things tour. We're coming to 20 different cities, United States and Canada. So, Caroline, I'm going to send you a couple tickets. We'll have podcast Sean reach out to you, send you a few tickets so that you can attend our Houston stop. For other folks listening to this, if you want to check out one of our tour stops, 20 different cities, go to theminimalists.com slash tour. We'll be in Orlando and Nashville and L.A. and Chicago and New York and Seattle and Vancouver and Toronto and a bunch of other places Texas and the South and the mountain states will be in Denver and Phoenix and so much more. Theminimalists.com slash tour. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. One day I'm going to like memorize that number and not have to look at my notes for that. <laughs> so during the lightning round, so Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, minimalmaxims.com. All right, we got a question from Ariadna. That's a 
awesome name. When does minimalism turn into compulsive decluttering or obsessive compulsive Spartanism? What signs do we look for? So here's the thing. I think we covered this a little bit already, but minimalism in many ways is the antidote to obsessive compulsive decluttering or cluttering. You know, you can call it whatever you want. Yeah. I don't care what ism you, it can be Spartanism, it can be Hordeism, whatever you want to call it is fine. Let's not get so caught up in the definition. What we're really talking about is intentionalism mm. versus unintentionalism. Mm. And th- th- those are the, the fundaments of the problem, right? Yeah. Minimalism is a way to intentionally question the things we bring into our lives, the things we hold on to, the things we let go of. Hoarders don't question the things they hold on to, so they hold on to everything. Mm-hmm. Spartanists don't question the things they let go of, so they let go of everything. So here's my pithy answer for you, Ryan. The inability to let go is a problem. So is the inability to hold on. Mm. You think about when Ella is doing the monkey bars at a playground, right? Well, if she couldn't let go, then she'd say stuck, right? Mm -hmm. But if her hands kept, if we put oil or butter all over her hands, that'd be really cruel. (laughs) It really would be. (laughs) (laughs) She might kind of like it though, strangely. (laughs) But so I lathered up her hands in coconut oil. Right, here, go to the monkey bars. She she would slide right off. And that's what a Spartanist does they don't realize it but they're unable to hold on to anything and that becomes a new problem minimalism gives us the grip strength we need to hold on but also to move on Mm. tweet that podcast sean oh man my my pithy answer is this a life without values is an undervalued life so man when do you know what are the signs I can't give you the top 10 signs that you're a Spartanist. Mm -hmm. I can't give you the top 10 signs you're a hoarder. Or maybe I could with the hoarding thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it it comes down to what are your values? What are your boundaries? That's where you got to start. And if you're in alignment with those, then you could feel pretty good about yourself. But if you have no, uh, no values, then you have no borders. You have no boundaries. And... Uh, what, what do we say? If you have no boundaries, it's like being on an ice rink mm-hmm. without any ice skates on. It's just, you're sliding everywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think what happens here is we get confused. We think a minimalist is a person who must get rid of everything. Mm. And that's not where we are with this. Mm-hmm. A minimalist questions the things in their life. And so I will tell you this, that, if I'm holding on to something and it's not serving me, it's not the thing's fault, right? It's my fault for continuing to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm letting go of things compulsively, mm-hmm. the things that are serving me, that are enhancing my life, I'm creating new problems for me and for my family and for the people around me. And sometimes it manifests outwardly where I start letting go of friendships, careers, quitting jobs, saying screw you to the people I love, that's a form of Spartanism. Mm. So you're doing that to the stuff, but quite often you're doing that to what matters most. That's the opposite of living an intentional life. Ryan, we got a bunch more to talk about, but first, what do you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. My name is Luke Pearson, Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Uh, I had a comment about fitness. I'm reading a book. It's called Starting Strength. It's a very simple way to exercise. For people who go to the gym, um, it's often confusing. People who like to go to the gym, it's often hard to minimize your fitness routine. So I started to read this book, and it's simple. It's, it may not be... It may not be easy, but it is very simple. Um, and it, it's implemented a lot of things in my life. My back is more strong. Um, just everything about me is stronger. Don't really care about what I look like, but I feel stronger and I feel healthy. Um, you know, and I just enjoy working out. But it, it was so difficult before. But now reading this book, Starting Strength by Mark Ripito. Um, just hope that helps. Definitely, if you go to the gym a lot, it will simplify your life. Hey, Josh and Ryan. This is Stephanie from San Antonio. Joshua, I believe, had recommended a book by my new favorite author, Andy Andrews, and it was called The Traveler's Gift. And that book is so, it's like the Bible, uh, another Bible without the religion. It's things, it, it tells you exactly what to do with your life, exactly what you're not doing and basically tells you that it's all on you. And that's a really good book that I recommend to my friends. And I started reading numerous books of Andy Andrews. The Noticer is another one that's really good. I think a lot of people need to read it. It's about perception, about seeing things beyond your own point of view. That one was really good. I also, I don't know if you guys recommended this or if I just happened to stumble upon it, but there's a book called Miracle Morning by Hal. Uh, I can't think of his last name, but his first name is Hal. And it is a step-by-step, you know, get-out-of-your-funk process that you start your mornings at 5, 5 a.m. You do journaling, you do reading, you do exercising, you run your errands. And it's just a, it's a way to change, uh, another way to change your life. And they actually have a community on Facebook um, called the Miracle Morning Community. And there's people from all over the world. All right, y'all. We have a bunch more surprise questions this Thursday on Patreon. That's the Maximal episode on The Minimalist Private Podcast. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist. But first, real quick, for right here, right now, here's at least one thing that's going on in the life of The Minimalists. So we're going on tour really soon. We've already talked about that. But every Monday, I've been sort of practicing. I know Ryan is practicing a talk that we're doing. I'm practicing reading and because I, I I'm not good at reading apparently. <laughs> no, what I found out is uh, on Clubhouse. If you go to theminimalists.com/clubhouse every Monday in August, so two of them have already happened. We got three more happening at this point. I read an excerpt from the book, and Ryan, I've learned some fascinating things about the book. Hmm. Um, some of these passages. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not ready to read that out loud yet. Mm. And, and so this is like a little test ground in a way where I've been testing out these different passages. I'm like, oh, this is good. This is really resonating out loud. People are asking questions about it. People have comments about it. And there are other things I'm like, oh, man, mid, mid-section. mid I'm like, I'm going to stop reading this. This mm. one I'm not ready to read or it's not the most compelling part to, to work at a live event. And so I'm testing out all these different things. You can join me for that. Dude, I'm thinking about when I was like proofreading the book uh-huh. and how a lot of this stuff's hard to read. 
Yeah. And it's funny because like Mariah's reading it and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> yes. I wonder how hard it is for her to like read some of these things. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, but there are some of the things where like there's. truths. Yes. And there's a particular mm-hmm. shame that can be associated with them. And I do want to read a lot of those out loud because I, I understand that by by understanding my own shame, other people will be able to come to grips with some of the shame they've experienced or they've picked up from their culture, from yes. their society along the way. 100%. And so we're going to be on tour, theminimalists.com slash tour, 20 different cities, United States and Canada. By the way, one other thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists, Danny Unknown is here. Yeah. Ladies, let's put a picture of a childhood picture of him right here, Jordan. <laughs> When he was like five, right here. <laughs> Your answer, yeah, right there. There he is. There's a beautiful picture. You're like right here. <laughs> I was trying to like encapsulate it. Put it over my face. Right, right, right. And uh, Danny is helping us with audio video stuff. He yeah, is the, welcome, Danny. The latest hire for the minimalist, newest team member here with uh, with the minimalist. How dare him have nicer well, hair than me? I mean, his hair is nicer. Than I can't. Yours, for I sure. can't pull the. I can't pull the pone. Danny pulls it off well, though. It looks great. It does. And uh, next week, we're going to bring on uh, Emma and Mallory as well. You'll get to meet them in the coming weeks and months as well. So the team is expanding. Well, why? We're doing so intentionally. We were, uh, we were recently with Dave Ramsey, and he asked me, what do you, what do you guys really want to do over the next 10 years? Mm. And I think Ryan said snowboard or something. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, well, I think ultimately it's about healing Mm. and that we're at a certain place right now where we've been able to help a certain number of people heal and we're bringing more people on to the team not because we want to grow a never-ending growth and expansion and what's the profitability and all these things no it's about helping people heal and finding effective ways to reach people so that they do heal yeah you and i have experienced a lot of healing over the last decade. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of other people experience healing as well. So how do we get that message out there? Because we know the why at this point. We know mm. why we're doing what we want to do. Yeah. I love the uh we're in the business of healing. Uh <laughs> that feels good. Yes. Yeah. We sort of take a Hippocratic oath in a way yeah. as minimalists. Right. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Danny Unknown. We'll put a link to his Instagram in the show notes. You can say hi to him over there. Real quick, for added value this week, I don't have a song, but Ryan, I was watching a film this weekend. Have you seen any Terrence Malick films ever? Uh, maybe. I don't know who like that Thin is. Like Thin Red Line. He's a director. Um, oh, yes. Okay, uh, I know he, Thin Red Line. I've he seen did that. Um, The New World. Tree of Life was okay. the big one. Uh, and I just watched Night of Cups. And the best way I can describe it is it is a minimalist fever dream in a way. Now, his movies are a bit surreal. They don't really have a plot. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have a script. Mm. I also wouldn't be surprised if they had a 700-page script as well. (laughs) And it's so fascinating. So he made two movies in the 70s. He's now in his 70s. But in the 1970s, he made two films and then disappeared from public life for, I think, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, no one's seen him on camera like oh, wow. during the making of the films or whatever. But this film has uh, Christian Bale in it. It also has um, Natalie Portman and uh, a few other people that, that you would know. But there's something so... I don't even know how to describe it. His 
The thing I wrote down here is his movies are like paintings on film. Mm. Or maybe it's like visual poetry in mm. a way. I'll have to check it out. It's, uh, there's this, it's this, it illustrates our connection with nature or maybe our disconnection from nature. He does these things with water, like full submersion in water, underwater shots that are unbelievable. And um, just this is incredible humanity in the film. He has the soaring music. The cinematography is roaming. He uses these wide lenses. Even on close-ups, he uses these wide lenses. So even if I do a real close-up, close-up of you, mm -hmm. still all the people and the surroundings and nature that's around you. It's so fascinating how it's... Uh, Ten minutes into the film, I knew it was my favorite film of all time. Wow, and man. I, I, I don't even... I want to avoid superlatives be like, oh, it's the best film ever. But for me, even 10 minutes in, I was like, I had rented it. I immediately purchased it. Mm. So I'm like, oh, this is, I've already watched it twice wow. in three days. Mm. I could see myself going back and I barely ever watch a movie more than once. Almost never. Yeah. But this was, this wasn't like a movie. It was like watching, you, you know, sometimes you'll go see a painting a second time. Sure. And this felt like I was going to see a painting a, a second time. It's but it makes me think of uh, the Salvador Dali Museum. Yes. St. Pete. Like, I go to it every opportunity I, I have. Same. And it's mainly because it makes me feel weird. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, And I don't know what it is about feeling weird that I like, but, like, that's why I like looking at Salvador Dali. And it sounds like this film would make me feel weird. Yeah, it's called Night of Cups. And the, I love the analogy with Salvador Dali here because Salvador Dali was sort of the most famous surrealist mm. and Terrence Malick one might argue his films are surrealist but not the same way that like a David Lynch film David Lynch films are very surrealist I've never seen a David Lynch film twice uh, I've seen yeah. them all Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet and yeah, yeah. but yeah, I've never watched them a second time it's almost as though like his films are 90% reality 10% surrealism mm. and Ter Terrence Malick's are like 2% surreal but in order for to capture that surrealism there's almost like a hyper realism that he's capturing as well mm. through nature there's this longing for more and I want to talk about more stuff although that's how it manifests in, in humans quite often but we're all longing for like the thing that I wrote down here is a glimpse into the beyond mm. and he captures that in a way through these banalities of life. It's, it, it's almost like he just films a bunch of beautiful banalities and you find the true extraordinary experience in everyday mm. banalities. Hmm. It's like he's filming a dream about the truth. Mm. So the film is called Night of Cups. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week like... My boyfriend is the worst accumulator of crap I've ever seen. I can't believe Mariah wrote in. <laughs> it's Mariah from the past. Right. Is it possible for a minimalist to live happily with a hoarder? What is death cleaning? And when does it turn into Spartanism? How does one know when to stop decluttering? And why do I struggle with other people's expectations of what makes a house a home? Plus, we have a million more questions for The Minimalist. And if you want to hear all that, join us on The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You also get access to all of our events. Certain tiers can get all of our events, upcoming events, also past events, all the archives, our Ask the Minimalist Anything, our online community as well of 
fellow simpletons over there. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit TheMinimalist.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at TheMinimalist.com. You can comment on this episode at YouTube.com slash The Minimalist. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at the minimalists.com. You'll also receive any new minimalist writings that we publish for free. And if you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need every little thing that's just feeding your greed oh I bet that you'd be fine without it